Welcome, everyone, to our NCAA Social Series. I'm Andy Katz. I'm pleased to be joined by Dan Gavitt, Senior Vice President of Basketball, and Lynn Holtzman, Vice President of Women's Basketball. We're going to discuss the upcoming March Madness tournaments. Uh, first off, uh, to both of you, if you can answer just your overall emotions. I'll start with you, Lynn, about being back a year later in quite a different situation, knowing full well that we will be on site across the country with fans. Um, I would say there's a lot of emotion, mostly excitement and anticipation. Um, actually, I would say even more than a year later, because, you know, having the championships that were canceled in 2020, but then our experience in 2021, and really in the midst of the pandemic, going to the one geographic area. So now this year, having some degree of a nor new normal, if you will, and going back to um, various sites across the country, and also in anticipation of, um, you know, just providing the ultimate platform for our student athletes and our teams to perform, you know, between men's and women's basketball and our two championships we will be at 35 different sites this year. So the excitement is definitely evident. Um, and, and really, I think everyone is feeling it. I'd concur, Andy, you know, to have fans back for March Madness will be in full capacity uh, will be really exciting for the players, for the coaches. I'm most excited for them. Uh, they've experienced a more normal season, incredible crowds throughout the season, especially of the last month. Um, so we're trending in the right direction and excited to be able to bring the tournaments back to all the local sites that have hosted the tournaments for so long and embrace March Madness so well. Um, it's going to be great. A little anxiety, of course, for us on staff, just to make sure that we deliver the championships and the student athlete experience that we work all year round to do, but a very exciting and anxiously anticipating. You know, one, one thing to, to the two of you, and obviously none of us could have predicted what did happen, what was going to happen, but I, I felt in talking to you guys back in December, based on the medical experts, while at, in that moment, it felt like, oh boy, here we go again, that we could be okay by the time we got to March. What, what kind of, what was your optimism, your level of optimism, Lynn, back in December, even at the heart of Omicron, that we were gonna be able to get through this and be okay in March? Well, there certainly was a degree of optimism, um, partly because of the great counsel and ongoing advice that we were getting from the medical professionals, including our chief medical officer, Dr. Brian Hainlein, and the COVID medical advisory group, and just what they, um, as they were discussing this. And, and I think it's also that, that level of optimism, just um, also out of desire of wanting the optimism and also us having the opportunity to present these two great championships to the fans, the student athletes and the coaches. Um, so it existed there. And then every week that passed and with the counsel of those medical experts and others, I would say it continued to increase. Yeah, you know, very different situation as we know, Andy, this year than last. Um, much of our population of student athletes and coaches is highly vaccinated, boosted in some cases, unfortunately, maybe have had COVID-19 at some point. Um, so dramatically different than last year when vaccine, vaccines weren't even available um, in the winter heading into March Madness. Um, so while there were certainly challenges, you know, mid-December through mid-January, significant number of cancellations and postponements and disruptions, um, it didn't feel like last year in that, you know, we knew that once we got beyond the very contagious variant of Omicron, 
Um, as we saw, even in South Africa, when they were going through it, that while it spiked dramatically, then the drop-off was pretty dramatic. And we fortunately experienced that here in the United States. So Lynn, across the country, uh, protocols are changing, mask mandates are ending, uh, but not everywhere. I mean, how are you gonna navigate? Um, and it still could change obviously in the next two weeks, um, but how are you navigating that everything may not be universal in various locales across the country? For the reasons you noted, that's exactly it. That's the facts is that um, with the different um, municipalities, counties or states or whatever, there still may be some variant varying uh, protocols around COVID. So with both of our championships, and as has been the fact, the, the fact with all of our fall championships, even to date, there is immediate deference to those local medical authorities and others of which we, as championships are brought into those um, communities and those venues that we honor, uh, and we have a responsibility to make sure that we are complying with. Um, so yeah, there may be some variations, but as you indicated, um, I think throughout the country, we're, we're trending um, and we're tending to see that um, it's getting, uh, the variations are probably less and less. And Dan, to that point, what are the chances you could have a change within a site within actually that week? Very high chance of that happening, Andy. Actually, you know, with the CDC changes that have happened here just in the last couple of weeks, we've seen uh, changes to the protocols uh, just in the last couple of weeks, and we'll see it on a weekly or even daily basis. Um, Currently, for the men's championship, for example, in New Orleans and San, uh, in, in San Francisco, where there's a West Regional, um, there's a vaccination requirement for fans uh, or a negative test uh, to be in the in the venue. There's also a mask mandate um, in, in, in a couple locations as well. And uh, with 16 uh, non-predetermined sites for the women's championship, we'll undoubtedly have some restrictions, as Lynn noted, in some of those sites as well, and others will be much more liberal. So it's just really uh, incumbent upon fans uh, to be checking uh, in advance of attending, even weekend to weekend, round to round, as things may change. But it's quite possible that things will even improve and evolve during the tournament. As you note, Andy, um, on a weekly basis, it's very possible that by the time we get to New Orleans for the men's Final Four, um, that the mask mandate may be lifted after uh, the conclusion of Mardi Gras here. Yeah, and obviously things are trending in the right direction. So if anything, we hope that it would go in that direction. I want to get to the, the changes, Lynn. Um, first four, coming to the women's side. So 68 and 68. Uh, what does that mean to the women's tournament and how will it be, uh, how, how, how will it be organized essentially? This is a year of, I would say, several different firsts. And that's one of the themes we have here. It's the first year the women's championship We'll have 68 teams. It's the first year that we'll have a first four. Um, it's the first time that women's basketball is using March Madness. So um, specifically around first four this year, um, those first four games uh, will be played at four of the top 16 first and second round campus hosted sites. Um, from the Division I Women's Basketball Committee perspective, it was imperative that as the bracket expanded, we were able to implement that as soon as possible. And really for operational reasons, it was necessary this year to have those first four games um, played at those campus hosted sites with the committee's intention that in the future they'll move to a predetermined site. Um, so with that, the, the way the teams are identified are similar as it occurs on the men's side where the last four at-large teams play one another and then the final 65 through 68 seeded teams will play one another. 
And Dan, um, going back to those neutral sites, uh, beginning with Dayton, uh, what have you heard from those sites about uh, that anticipation of being back in the rotation, and especially with a place like Dayton, uh, you know, returning to what has been their normal? Well, you know, you forget, Andy, pretty quickly, uh, this will be three years from the last normal championships we had, 2019. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, cancellation of 20, the the single location for the 21 championships and now 22 back to a little more normalcy. Um, so there's great anticipation. There's great excitement. Um, all of our host sites, uh, you mentioned Dayton for the men's first four, um, incredible site for the, the start of the championship for so many years. And um, I think, you know, we're going to see great attendance and great viewership right out of the gate because people are longing for the the excitement that comes with March Madness, not just the games that we experienced last year, but the fans, the bands, the cheerleaders, the dance team, the you know, the mascots that are such a part of March Madness and experience. Uh, Lynn, just want to follow up on what Dan said about New Orleans and San Francisco, San Francisco excuse me. Uh, what about Minneapolis and maybe any other regional sites uh, as we are talking here in early March? What, what are, are there any restrictions that you know of for those particular uh, venues? We're in a different situation with Minneapolis. They recently um, lifted its vaccination and mask mandate in uh, indoor settings and everything. So, um, you know, as Dan noted, that that's a prime example of where there may be some different protocols in place, given the different location of the sites. Um, similarly, for the regionals, just recently, there's been some updates made to the COVID medical protocols relative to masking and requirements to so, show vaccination or testing. So to emphasize that fans really do need to check um, information as they go to these sites to, um, to really enjoy the games and everything. But we, we're in a, in a situation of which there is um, not as strict of protocols in place with our predetermined sites currently. All right, you mentioned the, the experience for the fans. I'll get the student athletes in a moment, but um, how much will it return to normalcy with those fan experiences uh, at the Final Fours, both men's and women's, you know, for music and other activities that are going on? Uh, Dan, I'll start with you and then Lynn, if you could follow. Sure. Well, thanks to our corporate partners and champions, we're going to have uh, the Insori events that we normally have and even some expanded and new ones uh, for men's and women's uh, Final Fours. Um, in New Orleans, the Minneapolis. Um, so uh, in, in New Orleans, we'll have uh, Reese's Final Four Friday, the Open Practices and the NABC All-Star Game, uh, March Madness Music Festival, um, the Fan Fest presented by Capital One. Uh, we'll be uh, uh, Friday for Monday. And then uh, tip-off tailgate presented by Nissan. Uh, we'll proceed the games. Um, and then, of course, the Final Four dribble that we see in both Final Four sites um, presented by Buick. Yeah, similar, similarly, um, and the fan and the ancillary events that Women's Final Four offers, they're, they're uh, very similar, and, um, and we've seen the enhanced support of our corporate partners and champions. Um, this year for the Women's Final Four, one of the new offerings that is a comparable event, event to what Dan just mentioned, that Reese's Final Four Friday for the Men's Final Four. For the women's, a new offering this year will be a Super Saturday. It's an open practice to the public. 
Um, and then uh, the other events that Dan noted, we could, we similarly have offerings with that with a Super Saturday concert, for example, that's presented by AT&T. Uh, we have a party on the plaza, which is at Pepper Rally before the games and also part of those that Super Saturday activities. And this year, um, we have a first time sponsor of that. Um, and then, as Dan said, the dribble and the bounce. The other thing that the men's and women's Final Fours also share is the Read to the Final Four program, which is one of our community events um, targeting third grade readers within the, the communities. And we're seeing a tremendous response, both in the state of Minnesota and the city and the community of New Orleans for those. Um, and then there's also the legacy events of which there's court restoration, basketball court restorations within the communities of both men's and women's Final Four, those programs. Lynn, we're, we're gonna dive deeper in another series, uh, you know, even more deeper, uh, even deeper into gender equity issues, but what will student athletes be able to tangibly see just here initially uh, that will be different from last year to this year with that focus on making sure we have gender equity? Yeah, I think one of the lead things as I, as I already cited is that we have for women's basketball in our championship, it's the use of March Madness. And we saw that really start to unfold with the announcement that that would be occurring uh, this fall. And then after the start of the year, you saw a lot of um, updates and changes to whether it was NCA social media platforms, as well as how, as we've been um, promoting and marketing the championships, how that has been used in similar ways for both of our championships. So that's something really visible. That, really, that then translates over for our student athletes, our teams and our fans, other branding efforts. And for the women's championship, um, I would say there's been a, a significant um, additional investment around the branding of the championship. And what I mean by that is the signage and also um, the signage at all rounds. Uh, that's within the venue, within the locker rooms, the fan um, engagement signage opportunities around the concourses and then throughout the Women's Final Four City. But those are two in particular really visible um, aspects that our student athletes will see. And then there's a multitude of other things that I'm sure in a future episode that we'll talk about. Yeah, we'll dive deeper into some of those amenities, of course. And Dan, overall, you know, for both, what, if any, changes do you think you will see uh, for, for the men's and the women's? You know, I think, Andy, it's just been a, a great effort of coordination, um, particularly between the two basketball committees, the men's and women's championship committees that are responsible for managing and running these two great events. Uh, there's been um, monthly meetings, basically, that have occurred, a lot of sharing of information, uh, collaborative uh, decisions that have been made um, that will impact both championships equitably. Um, and of course, the staffs have, have supported that effort and followed suit. Um, so I think there's just been a, a greater attention to detail around comparing, contrasting every level of the championships and making sure that, um, that there's an eye towards equity, uh, appropriately so, and that, that central to all of that is the experience of the student athletes. As Lynn noted, you know, the journey of each student athlete from their arrival at first four all the way through hosting and holding the championship trophy um, has been uh, compared and, and I think we're quite ready to provide that incredible experience that will be elevated and uh, coming off a year, a very different year and, and thus a, a year th this season where we've had such excitement in both men's and women's basketball and incredible support among fans, I think it's going to lead to a very exciting and memorable march. And Lynn, uh, one other thing on that, uh, Selection Sunday now is for both men's basketball and women's basketball. 
what's your anticipation of having Selection Sunday be universal? Well, you know, that it's something unique for this year also with us with the, us and the committee executing the first four games in the manner that I described before. Um, so our selection Sunday for the women's championship will be on ESPN at eight o'clock Eastern. Um, that the difference is, is that normally in years past occurred on Monday. So it is something this year and then there'll be an assessment done after the championship. Um, by the committee and also broadcast partners and otherwise to determine, you know, what the schedule may look like starting next year. So I'd be remiss if we just don't circle back to just the play. Um, if both of you could just comment on the level of play that we've had this season, uh, which I think has been off the charts. I mean, whether it's the super seniors, all the experience, um, there's some reason that we're, we're getting a high level of basketball for men's basketball and women's basketball. Lynn and then Dan, if you could close us out just on what you've seen. Oh, it's been tremendous. You know, for women's basketball scene, um, that really started to build up, I think, coming into this season. And then we've seen the actual outcomes of it is the increased parity in women's basketball and the competitive depth all the way through, you know, the top um, the top 100 teams or so. So that um, it's been really exciting to see. And we've also seen as a, re as a result of that, not just fans attending the games, but also the viewership on the different broadcasts. Um, it, you know, when you, the Women's Basketball Committee just recently completed this past Monday, it's third uh, of three top 16 reveals. And I can attest to the fact that the committee's conversations around uh, multiple hours prior to those top 16 uh, reveals really reflects the quality of play and just the, the high competitive nature of our programs. Well, I think Andy, as you noted, the, the return of so many student athletes for a fifth or sixth year, so many veteran players um, and playing in front of fans has been uh, very notable and has led to incredible games, incredible high level of play. Um, you know, the student athletes played most or all of last season with either no fans or very limited fans. And so to have that environment back that elevates play just by the human nature of it um, has, has been incredible this year. The, the veteran players that are back, um, you know, just 10 days ago in men's basketball on, on the second Saturday, uh, second to last Saturday of the season, the top six teams in the AP poll all lost on the same day for the first time ever on the road. And, you know, speaks to the, the parity and competitiveness that Lynn spoke of. You know, last year in men's, I think there were two teams that really were head and shoulders above the rest. And this year, it's really more like, you know, eight to 12 teams that have probably a very strong chance to win a national championship. And we've even seen upsets that would... Uh, prelude possibly more depth than that to get to the final four it's going to be a great and very exciting march madness yeah it's going to be awesome can't wait and look forward to seeing you both of you in person in the month of march and into april i uh, appreciate you both and as always you can go to ncaa.org slash social series where all our social series are archived thanks for watching everyone <laughs> <laughs>